0: Hey, friends, this is your host, Daniel Minnick, for Truth Espresso, coming at you with another episode. And this is going to be a doozy of an episode. My wife and I here are ready to discuss something that is recently in the news and recently impacting our home state of Colorado here. And we've actually participated in what's going on. This has to do with a new bill likely to be signed into law that we are fighting against in the state of Colorado, and this is an abortion bill it is hb 221279 it is entitled the reproductive health equity act and yeah this bill the wording in this bill is set to make colorado one of the most radically pro abortion states in the union So, sweetheart, Chelsea, my sweet and beautiful co-host, you're ready to tackle this rather difficult topic with me for this episode?
1: (laughs) Yes, let's do
0: it. (laughs) Yeah, let's take this head on. And, And our intention with this episode, we'd like to present the cold, hard facts of what's going on here. And we'd like you to pray and to realize that there are evil forces out there who are intending to do the work of Satan and they don't like life God is the giver of life Jesus says that he gives life to whom he wills and the father has given it into his hand and Satan is really the God of death and he hates life because God's the author of life and he wants to bring death upon people and Satan especially delights in abortion death toward children <laughs> Um, If you think abortion liberates people, you're fooled, because um, abortion is a tool for death in the hands of Satan, and Satan really can't stand children and enjoys killing children. And so we're talking about abortion in this episode, and we're going to talk about the law, the bill, in Colorado, the Reproductive Health Equity Act. And let's talk a little bit first, before we get into the text of the bill, um, the language of the bill, that it's very concerning. Let's talk about the history, why this act has come about, why is it trying to be rammed through the House and Senate of the state of Colorado. And so, you may know that there is a case at the Supreme Court that had its hearings late last year, and it's going to possibly find a ruling in the summer of this year, but this is the case of Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. So, what is this case all about? Well, the state of Mississippi passed a law to ban abortions after 15 weeks. Now, of course, that In and of itself is problematic because, you know, really abortion should not be legal for any period. But the fact that the state of Mississippi banned abortions earlier than Roe versus Wade you know in nineteen seventy three makes it so that states are supposedly not allowed to restrict abortions before what's considered viability, which that has, of course has changed as uh, technology advances, viability can be earlier in pregnancy. But according to Roe versus. Wade, Sweetheart, do you have any more information about this? Like, what does Roe versus Wade allegedly allow for states to do? And then, why is the Mississippi law supposedly in conflict with Roe versus Wade?
1: <laughs> yes, I think it is kind of interesting how most people are concerned with the Roe versus Wade ruling because mm. that one was more broadly defined for allowing abortions and mm. women's access to it. And the one that was even more specific about including late-term abortions was the Doe v. Bolton case. Yeah. It was heard on the same day, of course, mm-hmm. but that one gave a little more specific about the time frame for that. So, yeah, I mean, Roe v. Wade allows for women to have access to abortions and it wouldn't be considered like a criminal act if it was before quickening was most of the term that they thought mm. probably at that time yeah. and that was when women would feel <laughs> yeah, the, the baby and move stuff, and stuff yeah. and then yes other rulings were trying to clarify more what that meant as things have progressed so then for a while it was at 24 weeks and now I know some states even say at 20 weeks as the age of viability and they try and use the age of viability now because viability meaning the baby could be delivered outside the womb and still have a chance of survival
0: with some medical help right. yeah. yeah but yeah The point is that its life is not completely dependent on being inside the mother. It can be sustained and stuff, but that's viability there, you know, which is a very hazy as far as it comes to legality. And because technology advances so that we can sustain a baby outside the womb earlier than at this time of Roe v. Wade, And at that time, ultrasound technology was kind of new, so you couldn't really see as much about embryology, the development of the baby in the womb, until ultrasounds became more available, and ultrasound technology became more precise to what, how clear, and and now you can have 4D ultrasounds and stuff, so yeah...
1: (laughs) And to my understanding, the Roe v. Wade case was more about the particular reasons. Yeah, the right to privacy. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, if a woman, like abortion, has no um, restrictions, if the mother's life is at risk, or if it's in the case of rape or incest. Or if the mother, oh, so, okay, those were the two main things. And if the woman's health is Mm. in question, when they defined health, then that's when it became even more broad. Yeah,
0: for sure. (laughs)
1: Being like mental, emotional, physical. So if a woman said that she wasn't emotionally prepared, Mm. then that gave her the ability to seek an abortion.
0: Yeah. And so what brings this conflict up is that it's believed, according to Rover, versus Wade that, you know, states are not allowed to limit abortions before viability. So then when Mississippi passed a law to ban abortions after 15 weeks, the abortion proponents who are very protective of Roe v. Wade basically say, ah, uh-uh, you can't do that. That's too early. And so it's like, you're not allowed to have that law because of Roe versus Wade is law. Well, technically any court ruling is not law and I think a lot of people don't understand that, you know, you can't legislate from the bench. You know, basically what a court ruling is, is that if someone had a similar case after the fact, then case law would make it likely that, okay, well, don't expect a different outcome if you come with these same conditions. And, you know, because we have case law, but we know it happens that you can have a similar case and then the judge might even overturn it by recognizing, Okay, you know, it was badly decided there. So to say that Roe versus Wade is federal law is, uh, you know, a complete misunderstanding, but. As long as people are duped to think that way, that's what gives Roe versus Wade the teeth in our culture. But, so, really, states could get rid of abortion, but they're kind of scared into thinking that these federal cases actually limit their ability to, you know, outlaw abortion. But, nevertheless, the idea is that the Mississippi 15-week abortion ban challenges Roe versus Wade, and so that is now being ruled before the Supreme Court, and they had the hearings last year, and then the Supreme Court is supposed to rule on this case, possibly in June, sometime the summer of this year, and a lot of abortion proponents are afraid that the court is inevitably going to, uh, overturn Roe versus Wade in some way, to some extent you know, possibly fully or possibly partially and abortion proponents don't like any challenge they just want to push progressively forward toward a complete abortion on demand and for any reason whatsoever and we also saw last year, last September with the Texas heartbeat law where unlike Mississippi, the Texas law, you know, it's even more You know, this is back to approximately six weeks, you know, when a heartbeat is detected. But what gave the Texas law kind of teeth is the way it was enforced. It's not like a statute that's enforced by state prosecutors and stuff, it's by people bringing lawsuits or state agencies, you know, that have the power to enforce the statute. It's that people can bring lawsuits against someone involved in an abortion, and so the Supreme Court actually heard that and actually ruled that the Texas law could stay in place <laughs> because the Texas law was written in such a way so that um, they can't really say that, you know, people can't bring lawsuits, you know, it would be infringing on citizens' rights to bring lawsuits and so on, so that's how the Texas law is different from Mississippi and why the Texas law isn't really challenged like the mississippi law because it's kind of enforced using the conventional means (laughs) but although (laughs) yeah i mean what we're talking about is something that's kind of like not really ideal and so on it's not perfect but that's it brings up these issues you know but Oh. So
1: I was going to say that there actually is a lot of mm. attacks on the Texas <laughs> bill and just listening to a lot of the debates and pros and cons over the, the last couple of weeks here that people are so critical of <laughs> yeah. Texas and what they did mm. with that heartbeat bill and saying that they are oppressing women in Texas and mm. they're making doctors like in their boots to practice medicine because they're afraid they'll be Mm -hmm. sued and like people have to leave their state and come here and how it's like a felony what Texas is doing by enforcing this law. I don't know it's pretty extreme what people on the pro abortion side are like thinking (laughs) about this heartbeat bill and trying to find ways to attack it Mm -hmm. and I don't think it's I mean since it's kind of on the back burner right now because we have the jobs coming up soon I think that it's a little more hushed but (laughs) there is definitely still a lot of controversy with the Texas bill as well.
0: Yeah, and so that with the Texas one, that kind of comes to Colorado here because there are a lot of people... Those who in Texas want to get abortions but can't get them in Texas, well, they can come to Colorado and Colorado promises them an abortion really on demand for whatever reason, you know, come to Colorado, a state where abortion is safe and legal and so on.
1: And they have a bunch of different groups that will actually pay for hmm. people's yeah. transportation, hmm. childcare, hotels, any of their expenses to come here yeah. and get the abortion <laughs> as Basic. well.
0: It's almost like an insurance policy. You know, we're going to guarantee you that you get the abortion because you can't even have to be forced to pay for that evil. We got to make sure there's no barriers for you to come here and get an abortion. And so when it comes to Colorado there... Texas people coming to Colorado to get abortions. The Colorado legislatures, the House and Senate there, they're afraid of Roe v.ersus Wade getting overturned via the Dobbs v.ersus Jackson case this summer, and so Colorado wants to pass a law before then, basically to inoculate. So the urgency over Dobbs v.ersus Jackson, possibly overturning Roe v.ersus Wade they want to inoculate the state of Colorado against the effects of that because they argue that if Roe versus Wade is overturned and Colorado doesn't have a statewide law on their books then municipalities in Colorado might be required to pass their own abortion laws to clarify because right now if i remember correctly Colorado doesn't really have specific enough abortion law i mean they decriminalized ab- abortion. abortion before roe versus wade like in the late 60s which colorado was the first state to do that you know so colorado has long been an abortion favoring state But then the fear of Roe v. Wade being overturned, and if we don't have a statewide bill that enshrines, you know, abortion on demand via statute, that some localities could pass some laws that might be not what they want, you know, it might even ban abortion, you know, make the sanctuary cities for the unborn, and so on. And abortion advocates want a statewide law that guarantees that anywhere in Colorado, no one can interfere with abortion on demand for any reason at any time during pregnancy.
1: Yeah, so I heard that this is termed patchwork.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: Where they are trying to prevent that from yeah. happening. So they don't want smaller counties or cities to say, okay, abortion is not legal in this part or there's restrictions on it. And then other cities will have it free access. And their hesitation with that, especially in Colorado, is that the more rural, mm-hmm. um, yeah. secluded areas tend to be more Republican and would more likely have restrictions and then their concern is that these populations are the ones that need to have access to abortion and contraception so that's where their concern is coming from (laughs)
0: Mm -hmm. yeah so it's like they're concerned for people that likely don't even want abortion to guarantee them access for their own alleged needs but yeah (laughs) and so Let's get into some of the words and phrases and stuff. What is this HB twenty two twelve seventy nine, the Reproductive Health Equity Act, currently, as of this recording, currently went through the House and was voted on in the Senate, you know, passed the Senate, and is going to go to the floor and is likely going to be fast tracked and onto the to Governor Polis's desk and he's said he's going to sign it and so on. So it's very likely to pass. And so what does this reproductive health Equity Act say? And what are some of the um, concerning words and phrases? Now, of course, the bill is not very long. It's It tries to be vague and simple and basically just communicate the idea that anyone has the right to be pregnant and have a birth or terminate their pregnancy for any reason. No one should be allowed to interfere with any of that. It's a fundamental right. That's the gist of the bill. And to someone who doesn't really understand it, it sounds like a very innocuous and caring bill, you know, that doesn't have to play around with all these different uh, factors and so on. It's just simple and straightforward, but that's also a a problem with the bill because then it seems like you could drive a Mack truck through it. (laughs) But, so sweetheart, do you have some words or phrases that you want to mention? And even if we consider, (laughs) you know, even if we were to grant the intention of the bill, you know, what are some of the problems.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I'll probably just briefly describe the three top points that this bill is trying to cover. So yeah, that every individual has the fundamental right to make a decision about the reproductive health care, including the fundamental right to use or refuse contraception, the fundamental right to continue a pregnancy and give birth or to have an abortion, and to make decisions for how to exercise that right. And then the last point is that a fertilized egg, an embryo, or a fetus do not have independent or derivative rights under the laws of the state. So those are the three primary goals for the bill here. And at the beginning of the bill, they describe what some of the terms mean. And um, just to point out one that can be of concern is when it's defining reproductive health care. It's saying that this means health care and other medical services related to the reproductive processes, functions and systems at all stages of life. It includes, but is not limited to, family planning and contraceptive care, abortion care, prenatal, postnatal, and delivery care, fertility care, sterilization services, and treatments for sexually transmitted infections and reproductive cancers. So this definition is kind of broad, but also encompassing of all different aspects of reproductive care, even though the rest of the bill goes into specifically contraceptives and abortion. Mm -hmm. So that's where some of the problems begin
0: yeah so from when i was looking at this some points that i want to make is you know where they define some terms so they define pregnancy it defines abortion and so what does the reproductive health equity act define as abortion so it says abortion means any medical procedure instrument agent or drug used to terminate the pregnancy of an individual known or reasonably believed to be pregnant with An intention other than to increase the probability of a live birth. So, yeah, that seems to be a very broad statement, a very broad definition of what abortion is. So, when I read this, I'm thinking, traditionally, how many things, like, you know, what a pregnant person, Yeah, according to the bill, a woman, which, you know, the bill intentionally avoids using the term woman, because it's got to say pregnant person, because, you know, men can get pregnant, you know, (laughs) so when I read this, What comes to my mind is anything traditionally considered to be harmful to a pregnancy or that you'd have Surgeon General's warnings about. So abortion is any medical procedure, instrument, agent, or drug used to terminate the pregnancy. And so with an intention other than to increase the probability of a live birth. So basically it's like... (laughs) You know, like, okay, someone takes progesterone to try to help out pregnancy, so that's the opposite of this. Anything that you take that's for the purpose of terminating a pregnancy, or really, in other words, its intention is other than to increase the probability of a live birth, so now, you know, could an abortion be defined as a pregnant woman drinking alcohol, you know, where traditionally pregnant women avoid alcohol because that could harm their baby, and normally wouldn't there be, you know, possible legal ramifications of intentionally drinking alcohol knowing that that could harm your baby or smoking or any over-the-counter drug where there'd be surgeon general warnings about harms to the pregnancy. You know, don't take if pregnant you know how many <laughs> you know medicines that are the you know even things that you get in a bottle or whatever in the medical aisle in the supplements aisle stuff that says you know ask your doctor if you're pregnant or nursing or whatever like that you know it tells you to ask your doctor because there concerns that this might have an effect on a pregnancy but then you could just go ahead and ignore that and say well i want to take this because i'm not i'm in taking it with the intention other than to increase the probability of a live birth so then anything can become a means for for abortion you know that is very concerning with this language now i don't think those who drafted the language had these things in mind but obviously you know after the fact, someone could hold it up and say, hey, this is what the law guarantees me. So, anything I take that could have a 10% chance of harming, you know, well, this is, this is an abortifacient. So, I am guaranteed under the law the ability to take this because my intention is not to increase the probability of a live birth. It could just harm my baby and now it's protected. Another thing to point out is what you mentioned, sweetheart. The fertilized egg, embryo, or fetus does not have independent or derivative rights under the laws of the state. So what's interesting is that you have a law, a bill, under the guise of health and equity and freedom, but it's interesting that you have this language here that's explicitly stating that certain humans don't have rights. Like, it isn't just ignoring the rights, it's explicitly like, is this one of the first ones on the books in the state of Colorado that explicitly states negatively that this doesn't have rights in this state. You know, it's interesting here that you have a bill explicitly stating the not rights of someone.
1: So in regards to that definition too, I know in my testimony that we'll hear later on, I was talking about how what they listed in this bill to define the fertilized egg, embryo, and fetus, those are the stages of development that the baby goes through in utero. And I know that this seems kind of extreme, but it seems that they were very intentional about having these vague and developmental milestones listed here because then you can easily say it's okay if to insert newborn or it's okay to insert toddler or eventually you could answer elderly because mm. those are also stages of development. We haven't changed from a human to something else. We're just on that continuum of mm, developing. Yeah. And so when they're saying that the baby that is developing inside the womb has no rights, then that just leaves the door open for saying pretty much no one has any rights mm, then. exactly, And you can justify killing anyone at any time That's where we're headed with this. This is serious. Mm, Yes. Also, this bill gives no rights or protection for the unborn babies who need medical care if they're harmed in the womb, such as a case that we had in 2015 where a woman who was answering a Craigslist ad went and actually cut the belly of a pregnant mom when she was 37 weeks pregnant and cut Mm. the baby out of her and the baby and the mom ended up dying. And this lady, is, or I'm not even going to call her a lady, this woman was sentenced to 10 years.
0: Yeah, it could, okay. it could have been long. It should have been longer than that. Yeah, But
1: with this new law coming into place, there would be no criminal justification for her or criminal punishment yeah. for her because that baby wouldn't have had any rights, even though that baby is 37 weeks a yeah. baby could have lived
0: like exactly yeah and at best it might be okay what's the physical harm to that mother you know and that's it but if the mother even you know wanted the baby it's like yeah i remember at that time when the pro-abortionists were up in arms about like you cannot rule this in any way that would challenge abortion like you know no matter how horrible this is it's just like well it can't have any impact on abortion you can't put a value on the baby and like can this law even protect wi- i mean i know it tries to say that no one can interfere with someone who wants to have a baby that it's equal with uh, the choice for abortion but then okay even how do you prove that how do you prove that you wanted the baby you know what if <laughs> there's some ways that <laughs> anything you say or do could be used against you like i said i wanted the baby yeah well you didn't have any proof of that you know someone could murder a baby in the womb even against the pregnant mother's wishes and somehow prove that the pregnant mother didn't really want it you know like who knows how this bill could be abused in that way too but
1: well and in that case the mom of the baby died
0: yeah did she i don't I don't remember dying from that. She went to the hospital. She might have lived, but yeah, still, it was a a severe injury there. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, I mean, so, but if a case was where the mom did die and she couldn't speak up and say Hmm. that she did want that baby, like. (laughs) Ugh. Yeah. Yes. So there are numerous aspects of this bill that makes it so barbaric.
0: Yeah. And so yeah, people did testify uh saying that over and over again. So our involvement with this process here. So in the house in Colorado, they'd have allow for the public to testify whether they're for or against the bill. Now, of course, they'd have people testifying for the bill, there'd be people who are religious, but most of them were very liberal religious I mean, how many United Church of Christ United Methodist um, Unitarian Universalists and, uh, you know, liberal Jews liberal Catholics, you know all these different very liberal religious people, you know, women reverends and stuff like that that they're all like extreme leftists and then they try to claim that you know i'm pro-abortion because of my faith you know they would testify for the bill and twist absolute ridiculous out of context twisting of scripture to try to argue that the bible favors abortion yeah and then you'd have your atheists and so on also testify for it but was it march 9th that it was in the house in colorado I think it was March 9th there, and so it was basically a three-to-one ratio there, so they'd have three times as many people testify against the bill than would uh, testify to support the bill. But the, you know, House in Colorado has more Democrats than Republicans, and so it passed the House without a problem there, despite all the testimony. And how long was it? Was it like 13 hours of uh, testimonies there, you know?
1: And it was about three hours of proponents for the (laughs) bill yeah, and then close to 10 hours of people that were saying this is not a good bill. We vote no and don't pass it. So over 10 hours of proving how (laughs) horrible this bill is in so many ways. And yeah, they still went ahead and passed it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. They started the testimonies. at was at 2 p.m. And then it went to, I think, was it 4.30 or something a.m. the next day <laughs> when the House then after f- finished the testimonies and then they passed it in the House and then went to the Senate on...
1: Well, so oh, first, yeah. an important thing with the House, too, is that we did have some really awesome mm-hmm. House members that were asking awesome questions, oh, yeah. giving really good feedback about what this bill would actually be allowing in the state of Colorado mm. and they ended up filibustering yeah. the decision for 26 hours uh, which yeah. is the longest
0: <laughs> yeah in, his, in in history yeah the longest in Colorado, Colorado history yeah yeah. And so, yeah, <laughs> people bravely stood up because this bill is uh, pure evil. And, you know, obviously, you know, even if it were literally what the proponents intended, it's as evil as it gets. And then, the you know, there's the additional problem of well, what does the language of the bill allow for someone to abuse it even further? And, that, you know, that's a problem, too. And so people bring up these questions even like what we're talking about there. Like what qualifies as the definition of abortion? What about the wills of people involved? How are that protected by the law? And so the Democrats there really just don't care. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to amend it or just shelve it because it's just overly broad. Like (laughs) they're so determined that they've got to ram this through to protect their precious abortion from Roe v. Wade being overturned. But Then wasn't it? was Thursday, which was like Saint Patrick's Day, right? <laughs> Where the, so then the bill was going to be debated in the Senate. Then they had another round of testimonies, and just like the House, it was like a three to one you know, ratio of opponents versus proponents. So the pro-life people showed up there to testify into the wee hours of the night. So at the Senate, they started at oh, they opened at ten a.m. A. M. And then I believe it was after midnight, maybe 1230, somewhere around there, where they finally wrapped up the testimonies. And yeah, <laughs> so just like the house, they heard lots of truth about the problems of the bill and lots of truth about the evils of abortion lots of truth about that life begins at conception that abortion murders brutally murders babies in the womb even um, people passionately comparing abortion to the abuse that they experienced as children (laughs) so we already have uh, other examples of what people talked about there like some of the testimonies that these Senators heard. My name is Andy Olson and I want to tell you about Echo Zoe Radio. Echo Zoe Radio is a podcast outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries. Every month I find a knowledgeable guest to talk about an important and interesting topic that affects the church today. We carefully balance the discussions of positive, God-glorifying doctrines of Orthodox Christianity from a mostly Reformed point of view with exposés of heresy, false teaching, and poor practice that goes on throughout the church today. You can find us at echozoe.com. That's E-C-H-O-Z-O-E dot com.
1: I mean, there were quite a few just very powerful and convicting just truth. And the Senate was, I mean, they were polite, but they definitely had hardened hearts and would not listen to it. The one that stood out to me was probably because of the medical, (laughs) but a cardiologist that stood up and was talking about how this bill is um, horrible and should not be passed. So, this cardiologist was talking about how he would do cardiac procedures on babies inside the womb. And there was one case that he remembered in particular where it was, I can't remember if it was a 17 or 18 week baby. And before volubility. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and the baby had a complete heart block. So the baby needed heart surgery immediately so he would survive. They actually did what would be like a C-section, a cesarean section, and were able to access the womb and left the baby inside the womb, did the open heart surgery right there, Mm. which if you think about how tiny those little (laughs) 18-week babies are, like that heart has to be super tiny and how amazing that surgery team
0: Mm.
1: was to be able to do all that
0: yeah i mean the heart had to be like the size of like a garbanzo bean or something yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: And they were able to fix it and the baby was able to stay until close to term. So, I mean, it's amazing the technology, Mm -hmm. the resources we have. Just, I mean, even with nowadays robotic surgery, like Mm -hmm. we're making so many improvements in medicine and yet that same baby could have easily just been discarded or killed through abortion. And so I think, I mean, testimonies like that where you just see the humanness of these unborn babies that the pro-abortion people want to dismiss and act as if they're not human. And it's mm. like, okay, throughout scripture, you see how God fashioned us and made us mm. in the womb and he made us wonderfully. In
0: yeah, Psalm 139. Yeah. yeah. And
1: you think in Luke when Mary went and visited her cousin Elizabeth and John leapt in
0: her womb. And,
1: I mean, there's just so much evidence of life and how children are a blessing. And it's just appalling to me how people can disregard the humanity and the value of these unborn babies. And just hearing a lot of different stories personal stories and testimonies of people coming from horrible backgrounds, whether it was rape or incest or human trafficking and being forced to have abortions and the post-abortion depression that they went through. And just so many of these traumatic things that people had gone through and being able to share that in front of Mm. this committee had to, I mean, they were so brave to be able to do that. And then they're doing this because they want to be a voice for these other women and for these babies that are going to be exploited. And then the Senate just Mm -hmm. totally disregards it.
0: Yeah. Like the person I mentioned earlier, she I saw uh, an African woman who talked about how she was abused, you know, as a seven-year-old. And she described her experience as like being treated like an object and used and abused and discarded, you know. And, and so she could relate to and she very vividly compared her experience with that of the unborn child who's basically just treated. Treat it as an object and discarded, it and she was preaching, she was yelling, She, you know, you could tell the passion because it was personal to her. She experienced herself as a, as a young child outside the womb, this kind of treatment, so she can understand and relate to the mistreatment of the unborn. And yet, she can preach that to these senators, and in their hardness of hearts, they're just going to discard that, you know, as if her real testimony doesn't matter. So... Sweetheart, you uh, had a testimony for the Senate, too. So, yeah, we uh, had to stick through, um, be ready at, to be called at any time from 10 a.m. And so, you know, I was working from home there, and we'd kind of do some trade-offs there, sitting in front of the computer, because you were able to testify uh, remotely over Zoom. And so, waiting for our turn, there's no schedule there. We just kind of had to wait for our name to be called and um so yeah like I'd sit there while you're putting the girls down for a nap, and while I'm and then also go back and do some work, and so it was a pretty interesting and long day. And then after all the kids were in bed for the night, we're sitting there waiting for names to be called, and so we did listen to a lot of testimonies, you know, a lot of powerful testimonies too, and of course a lot of earlier, as we mentioned, some of the pro-bill testimonies that really have, you know, no proof or. Why abortion is supposed to be allowed. but finally around 11:15 or so you're able to give your testimony sweetheart. and so I'll we'll play the clip of your testimony that the senators got to hear. A very poignant and powerful testimony from someone who is a woman's health care provider and has worked with children and has delivered a hundred babies and and so on. So here's your testimony. Thank you guys for being here. Chelsea Mink?
2: Yes, sir. Yeah, we can hear you. Please introduce yourself and testify. Okay. Thank you, Mr. Chairman and members. My name is Chelsea Mink, and I am representing myself to testify against Health Bill 1279. I know firsthand the joy of motherhood. I also know the devastation of the loss of a child. I am a certified nurse midwife and advanced practicing nurse. I am passionate about women, their unborn babies, and access to healthcare, including help after abortion complications. My husband and I experienced firsthand the pressure doctors can put on couples faced with a genetic disorder in utero. Our second son was considered to have a genetic disorder, and we were strongly encouraged to have an abortion, as this would be the most compassionate choice. Thankfully, we did not have an abortion, and our son did not have a genetic disorder. But how many babies are denied their right to life based on false medical diagnosis? But this bill does not depend on my personal experience. It is a matter of absolute truth. It's not just an issue for people with a uterus. It's an issue for the equality of all humans. This bill intentionally ignores the fundamental question, what is the unborn? This bill is dehumanizing at its very core. As it states, a fertilized egg, embryo, or fetus does not have independent or derivative rights. This lists stages of development. You could easily put in a development stage of a newborn, toddler, or elderly, and say you have the right to kill them. The unborn are a human person. We talk about the voice of the unheard. There is no greater unheard voice than that of millions of our fellow human beings who are starved by a stabbed by sharp instruments, stuck to death by a vacuum, brutally dismembered, and have their parts sold like they're less than animals. The most common reasons for abortion never justifies the intentional killing of the unborn baby. I strongly urge everyone to think deeply about this and reject Health Bill 1279. Thank you.
0: Thank you for your testimony. I like what you said there, sweetheart, like where you said, this bill does not depend on my personal experience. It is a matter of absolute truth. So as relevant as all the personal experience is, or you give your pedigree there, and we know that it, a lot of people like to talk about lived experience, which of course is relevant, but it doesn't matter who you are when it comes to this issue of abortion. From the women's health care provider to the man, you know, to anyone, everyone has has a right to speak about this issue because it is a matter of absolute truth. And it described what abortion is so... The senators got to hear you talk about how babies are dismembered and, you know, starved by mifeprestone and stuff like that. So they can hear that. They heard that kind of thing from several people throughout the day testifying about the evils of abortion. And yet, you know, after all the testimony, three to one against the bill, then it was uh, the three senators. So they had the two Democrats and the one Republican. It
1: was three to two.
0: Yeah, three to two, and so then they passed it along party lines, you know, so of course the Democrats just let all of that truth, all the truth bombs, go in one ear and out the other.
1: So one of the questions that they brought up because they were trying to clarify during all this hearing what they meant by when we talked about the definition that a fertilized egg, embryo, and fetus mm. have no rights. Yeah. So they're trying to clarify, okay, so at what point <laughs> do you attribute rights? Like, mm. yeah. at what point can is there protection for the baby? Or, you know, at what point can you say this person for sure has rights? And when they were asking different abortion providers, most of the abortion providers would say that they were not able to answer that Mm, or not. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I think that was their primary (laughs) answer (laughs) was that they couldn't answer that. Not like they just didn't want to answer it. Yeah, exactly. And then some of the other more pro-bill type of people would say that, and I think it was actually some of the women that helped write the bill too they said that the rights became a distinction when you were able to seek reproductive health care. And so someone clarified, okay, so if a nine-year-old is going to start seeking reproductive health care, is that the point when they have rights? And they said, yes. (laughs) So with That, I mean, I know that can't hold up for all, but that just shows you how vague and also how liberal this can be if Mm. you can say you don't have any rights to life Mm. until you're nine years old. Yeah. This is extreme.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that where it mentions like postnatal. Now, I think the word was intended by the language to refer to, you know, like listing terms having to do with okay, abortion on one hand or the desire to have birth on the other hand. But of course, you know, you could, someone could take that and say, okay, well, this is part of abortion care is the postnatal delivery and try before you buy type of thing. Okay. You know, like, well, we just, okay, we had the baby and then, oh, we decide we don't want the baby because, you know, it started crying or something, you know, so it's just like, Okay. It's time for some abortion care, you know, because it's like really, you know, even when you think about the laws that have been on the books about like partial birth abortion and so on. So, the very diff, you know, things that are difficult to define about, okay, how you deliver a baby or how you do an abortion when you're delivering a baby and stuff, you know, head out, feet out, whatever, it gets very vague. And so, you could say that something is an abortion after birth because it's intended to be an abortion, you know, upon delivery and so on, or this was, yeah.
1: (laughs) So I'm glad you brought that up because this is a huge problem because we had bills in place that if there is a abortion where the baby survived, then they were protected. You had to give them resuscitative measures Mm -hmm. and help treat them. But now under this, if an abortion is not successful and the baby is still born alive, the doctor can still mm. continue with the abortion process and kill that baby. Mm. Yeah. So they usually just leave the baby in a bin kind of off yeah. in another room and just let them suffer mm. until yeah. they pass. So there's no protection mm-hmm. if the baby is born alive, yeah. where there was some to some extent before. So this...
0: yeah. So yes. so this bill could technically yeah be used for an abortion that's just deliver the baby and then kill it you know and say that's this is an abortion procedure And, you know, and not saying that, okay, this is bad and abortion is, traditional abortion is not, but we're talking about just how extreme the words in this bill could be used and abused for, you know, that kind of thing. Or abortion or killing the baby 24 hours after it's born, you know, it's it's still considered postnatal care. Just who knows how people will be able to use the words in this bill after it goes into law. Sweetheart, let's get to um, what does the Bible have to say about this epidemic of death and the the cult of death that's clearly gripped Colorado and other states and really the world uh, tending toward, you know, so we mentioned all this technology, everything that proves more and more, you know, that life begins at conception, that The baby develops very quickly, you know, fully intact. Heartbeat starts at 21 days, and yet the more we know about life, the more obvious it is. Then we have this more extremism toward killing babies and ensuring the, uh, you know, legal rights to kill babies for any reason up until birth and even beyond birth. So, what is the, you know, you have you something from the Bible to talk about this culture of death?
1: So one of the Bible verses that hmm. just sticks with me hmm, whenever yeah. I think of this is Proverbs 31, starting in verse 8. It says, Open thy mouth for the dumb and the cause of all such as are appointed to destruction. Open thy mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. So I know the King James Version is a little bit harder to understand. But being a voice for those who don't have a voice, we're being a voice for those unborn. If you think about it, over 60 million babies have Mm. been murdered through abortion Mm. since 1973. And that's what we know of. There's probably way yeah. more than that. Those are
0: the ones reported, and not all states are required to report it. California's not required to report their abortions. So we're talking about a holocaust, and the unborn in Colorado wants to be the leader of the holocaust.
1: So we should be a voice for at least 60—we need 60 yeah. million Christians— <laughs> who are willing to be a voice for one of those babies that was killed.
0: Yeah, and all the so-called religious, so-called Christian people who testified to support this evil bill, you mentioned Proverbs 31.8, it is directly stating to speak for those who can't speak for themselves um, the cause of those who are pointed to death. So there's your anti-abortion verse right there. You know, and they twist scripture to try to claim, you know, you had the parable of the soils that was trying to make it have something to do with pregnancy and abortion, you know, which is ridiculous. That was one of the two parables in the Gospels where Jesus specifically said what all the symbolism meant, and it had nothing to do with pregnancy and and abortion, And sweetheart, you brought up Isaiah 59 to me before we start doing this. I'd like to read that, verses 1 through 4 and 7 through 8, where it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Sounds like Colorado here. And your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear, for your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. We heard a lot of lies in those testimonies, the pro-abortion ones. Your tongue hath muttered perverseness. Yep, we definitely heard that. None calleth for justice, nor any pleadeth for truth. And they heard a lot of truth from the pro-life people there. They trust in vanity and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths." The way of peace they know not, and there is no judgment in their goings. They have made them crooked paths. Whosoever goeth therein shall not know peace. I think that's a very apt description of what we're talking about with the battle over this evil bill. But I'd like to end on a little bit of a hopeful note, because the Word of God does tell us how things will end, how we will have the victory, how the evil one will be defeated, and we see in Psalm chapter 2 the questions that we are often thinking about. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, referring to Jesus, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. So these people, you know, they want to break the bonds, what they see as bonds. They see everything in nature. We see everything with the transgender stuff. They want to rebel against the way God has designed nature with men and women. They want to break what they see as bonds, as God has designed the reproductive system and families and, you know, how you should have husbands and wives and children in the family unit and they consider babies as bonds and the responsibility of caring for babies, the responsibility of maintaining a relationship and having relations within the bonds of marriage, but they see that as bonds, as things holding them back that they need to break because they consider themselves, you know, gods you know, (laughs) these uh, Pro-abortion people can want to consider pregnant people or themselves as gods who could determine the value of life. Okay, this one gets to live. This one gets to die. We enact justice. We punish those who we want to punish by denying them life. We determine who gets to live and who gets to die. We are gods. But verses 11 through 12 of Psalm 2 says, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. And so, yeah, those of us who put their trust in Jesus the Son, we get blessed. We get peace, we will have the victory, and those who do not serve Yahweh with fear and rejoice with trembling, they're the ones that he will shatter like pottery when he returns to reign and set up the new earth, and he who sits in the heavens will laugh. So, the Lord will have the last word, the Lord will have the last laugh, and unless these tools of Satan repent from the evil, and they hurt heard hours and hours. They heard like nine hours of truth in the House. They heard nine hours of truth in the Senate. And yet they're still hardened in their ways. They still want to break their bonds and cast their cords from them by passing this bill into law. Evil written down in words there, thinking that this is good, thinking this is liberty, and yet it's pure evil, and it's an affront against God, but God will have the last laugh, Jesus will reign, these people who don't repent, they will pay, and they will pay dearly. And so what we present is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the gospel is the only hope for this wicked and evil world and those who trust in him. Those who trust because Jesus gave his life (laughs) and payment for sin and, you know, the culture of death, they believe they want to have the power to take life. But the only righteous death, as Jesus says, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. The only righteous taking of life is one who lays down his own life for the sake of others. And that's what Jesus did when he laid down his own life in payment for sins such as abortion and and many other sins. And so we'd still like to offer that hope. If you are for abortion, we ask you to repent and trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And there is healing, there is forgiveness from abortion in Jesus Christ. You will find him to be a perfect Savior if you put your trust in him, that his death is your death, his resurrection is your resurrection, that his payment for sin is sufficient to save you from the penalty due your sins, and that you can live forever with Jesus Christ, rule and reign with Jesus Christ in a perfect earth where there will be no more. Sin and death, no more killing infants. And so that will be a wonderful day when Jesus returns, and we hope that you will join us in that. <laughs> and so thank you for listening to this episode of Truth Espresso, and I hope that you will stay tuned for the next episode of Truth Espresso. Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. Good morning, and God bless your day.